السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام عليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه الحمد لله What a great blessing to utter the name of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam the very best of all creation may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us all with an intimate connection to him such that whenever we mention his name, whenever we send salawat and benedictions upon him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, our hearts come to life and we feel a closeness because a closeness is primarily a closeness of heart. Yes, physical closeness has its importance and there's no doubt there's a reason that say Umar al-Khattab that after having been stabbed in the Fajr prayer and realizing is that his death was near, he sent his son to the house of Sayyida Aisha and he said that seek permission of, from Aisha but say to her, don't say the Amir al-Mu'mineen, the commander of the faithful. Say that Omar asks your permission to be buried next to the Prophet and his companion Abu Bakr. He, look at the adab because if he would have said that Amir al-Mu'mineen is seeking your permission, she might felt obliged just because he was the commander of the faith, he was the leader of the Muslims at that time. But he said that seek permission that from her and say Omar seeks your permission. And say to Aisha, even though of course she wanted to be buried next to her husband, the best of creation, Sayyidina Muhammad and her father, she permitted Sayyidina Omar. Because she knew how beloved he was to the Prophet ﷺ, how close he was to Sayyidina Bakr Siddiq. And after this reached Sayyidina Omar, that she permitted him to do so, he said, nothing was more important to me than that. Nothing was more important to me than that. And there's no doubt, physical closeness is important, but spiritual closeness, closeness of the heart is really important. And there's a beautiful nuance to this story of Sayyidah Aisha. One of the things that we did on the last Umrah trip, and may Allah Ta'ala open up the door for us all, inshallah Ta'ala, to perform the Umrah again soon, bi'idhnillahi Ta'ala. There it was a model of the way that the chamber of Sayyidah Aisha looked during the life of the Prophet ﷺ, after the Prophet ﷺ passed, and then after her father Sayyidina Bukhar passed, and then after Sayyidina Umar al-Khattab passed. And essentially, there was the main room, and then there was like a courtyard. And during the life of the Prophet ﷺ, <coughs> they would have used that home in different ways. But the Prophet ﷺ was buried in what seems to be like a courtyard, which is attached to the bedroom. But after the Prophet passed, Sayyid Aisha moved her bed from that room so that it was next to the grave of the Prophet And she did the same and kept it there when the Sayyidina Bukhar Sadiq was buried there as well. And so when you see those pictures of that where you go to actually send salams to the Prophet where it will say that here is where you send salams to the Prophet the Prophet is laying on his right side facing you because the Qibla is behind you. And Sayyidina Bakr Siddiq is just a little bit behind him, this moving towards the right when you're facing that direction, and that behind him this way. Sayyidina Umar Khattab is that further back over here like this. But after Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab, 
was buried in that place, she put up a screen. And sometimes she would visit the grave without her scarf on during their time. But once St. Omar was buried there, and he was in the grave, he's in a grave, she would never go to the grave without putting on her hijab. And this was their understanding. And there is a hadith in the collection of Abu Dawood that states, is that there is no Muslim that you will go visit in their grave that used to know in this world except that he will know the one who is visiting them. He'll know the one who is visiting him. And that when you greet them, they greet you. And the way that our teacher, Sayyid Habib, Habib Qadim al-Saqaf put it, he says for us is that we just see the outward part of the grave, but for them it's like looking through a glass window. They know who comes to visit them. And this is why it's so important to go visit your parents if you're able to do so, to visit your brothers if you're able to do so. This is not a culture that is very much a part of our culture here in the United States of America and many other places in the Muslim world, unfortunately. But our Prophet encouraged us to visit graves. That, and he said clearly, and we all know the hadith, I used to prohibit you from visiting the graves. But visit them because they remind you of the afterlife. Anyhow, is that she put up a screen then between her and this blessed place then where the best of creation, his two companions, were buried. So when we think about closeness, is that yes, physical closeness is important. And surely that Allah will bring the believers close to the Prophet in the next world. But internally, this is the danger. Someone could be close outwardly but be very distant inwardly. What we really want is spiritual, heartfelt closeness in addition to physical closeness. We don't want to be from those people who are distant inwardly and outwardly. We want to be close inwardly and outwardly. And sometimes people who are distant outwardly but their hearts are close inwardly are significantly closer than those who are close outwardly but they're distant inwardly. And so we strive for both. And then you find these beautiful stories of the Prophet Sallallahu concern for his ummah. Sometimes the Prophet's concern for his ummah is even more when they're further from him than when they're actually close to him. And this is the same for the great inheritors of the Prophets. And they say the reason is, it's like a mother. When a mother is close to her children and her children are within eyesight, she feels comfortable and she'll relax. But as soon as they get a little bit further, as soon as there might be some impending danger, she's going to be much more vigilant. She's going to be much more careful and to look after them much more carefully than she would if they're close to her and there's not that imminent danger. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through these gatherings bless us to be close to the Prophet and open up our heart to his teachings because it is in understanding his teachings that you and I will be and have the ability to be the way that we've been created to be. And this is the opportunity that every single one of us has. And the Prophet ﷺ's teachings are a key that opens up the door for us to experience that. And part of the beauty of these teachings is that not only are they alive and applicable in any given time, but they bring life to any individual and any given time. They will rectify any given individual in any given time. They'll bring us to life. So one of the things that you'll find and that when we look at many of our principles that we have, our religious principles, 
some of them don't seem to fit very well in the modern world. But look at the mistake of the way that that's framed. Who wants to fit into the modern world? When you say things like that, you're taken as a given that the modern world is something that needs to be or should be fit into. Who wants to fit into the modern world? Who wants to fit into the toxicity of the modern world? Who wants to fit in? Yes, of course, there's good things in the time in which we live. But the general trend is a trend of decadence. The general trend is a trend of a downward motion. Who wants to fit into that? We cannot be so intellectually stagnant that we think that that's our goal, is to fit Islam into the modern world. On the contrary, is that Islam is truth. It is truth with a capital T. It tells us how we need to be in any given time. And of course, that includes the time in which we live. But what we need to strive to do is to understand Islam as it is so we can make the changes that we need to make. And one of the great examples of that is how our deen teaches us to be an abd, to be a slave and servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only. Our deen teaches us to submit to Allah. Our deen teaches us to not allow ourselves to be enslaved by anything in creation. And this is one of the great principles of spiritual chivalry. As Imam As-Sunami says, وَمِنِ الْفُتُوَّةِ أَنْ يَكُونُ حُرًّا مِنِ الْأَكْوَانِ وَمَا فِيهَا لِيَكُونَ عَبْدًا لِمَنْ لَهُ الْأَكْوَانِ بِأَسْرِهَا It is from futuwa to be free from enslavement to the world and what it contains so that one can be a slave to the one who owns the world in its entirety. What a beautiful principle. What an empowering principle. What an uplifting principle. What a healing principle. Think about how much people need this. How much do people need this? How many people are enslaved to their passions, enslaved to their job, enslaved to the way that they view the world, enslaved to an addiction or a habit that they have, enslaved to something that they've acquired, enslaved to a particular hobby or whatever way that it might be. And this is echoed in two very beautiful statements of Ibn Al-Ta'ilah, who wrote this amazing book of aphorisms that they say it's like the, it's like the dastur, it's like the constitution of the awliya. It's like these are the rules they abide by. This teaches you the lofty principles that we have to know intellectually first and foremost and then strive and struggle with ourselves every day of our lives until we die to at least try to move in the direction of attaining them. No one's making claims, but we should talk about them because there's solace that comes to the heart even in just knowing them intellectually, let alone when we even just start to taste their sweetness. And do we realize how much suffering we are saved? When we start to experience these principles, even if it's at the level of just knowledge, knowing them, every time you think about them, it will start to remove these attachments, which will make you feel better. It will make you more healthy. So one of the first ones, as he says, <laughs> You are free from anything that you have despaired from. وَعَبْدٌ لِمَا أَنْتَ لَهُ and a slave of anything that you desire. You are free 
from anything that you have an aversion toward, that you despaired from. And you are a slave to anything that it is that you desire. The two words there, yets and thamma. Thamma is this greedy, avarice, avaricious type desire. And yets is where you've despaired from something. You have no hope to attain that particular thing. Because why, when you despair from something, it's a sign that it's no longer in your heart. And when something's no longer in your heart, you no longer consider it. But when you desire something, then you love that thing. And whenever it is that you love something and will do anything that you can do to attain that thing, it's as if that you're worshiping that thing because that becomes the criterion whereby which your behavior is guided. The next one states, Ma illa kunta abidan, abdan. That never will you love something, desire something, or like something, except that you will be a slave to it. But Allah Ta'ala does not love for you and tukuni laghiri abdan. That you be a slave to anything other than Him, than He, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah wants you to be a slave to Him only, not to anything else in creation. So if we think about this blessed, that, that, uh, the, these blessed aphorisms and this principle of spiritual shivri, think about what this does. This lets us know that you and I need to work on this. And these principles we have to reflect upon and we have to think about and we have to go from the principle to the practice and in the process of reflection it will become more and more clear to us exactly how to put them into practice. How it is that we can live in this world but not to be overly attached to it. To be in this world but not to be of this world. How that we can take part in it. We have family, we have friends, we have children, we have clothes, we have possessions, we have work, but not let those things imprison us. And sometimes there's very subtle differences between the two. And there's very subtle things that transpire at the level of the heart that dictate whether or not someone is almost as if that they are worshiping it or it's almost as if that on the other side of the spectrum that it's in the correct way is that they are using it for what it is and seeing everything ultimately being from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah only wants us to be an abd to Him. And this is something that we should strive for. And the same meaning is that mentioned in one of the blessed statements of our Prophet Sallallahu this is a hadith in Bukhari, and the Prophet Sallallahu talked about the deplorable state of the one who is a slave to money, a slave to his clothing. The Prophet said, How wretched is the slave of the gold and silver coin, money. Which are that a type of clothing and a type of garment of some sort. So what a wretched state someone is. They're enslaved to money. I.e. money becomes the criterion for what they do. Even if it's haram, no, they want money. There's no regard for whether it's halal or haram. I'm willing to do haram because I want money. And if I get money, this is what I'm going to do once I get that money. That becomes almost like an ilah, almost like a god that you worship. Because it is the way 
that you conduct yourself is based upon attaining that particular thing. Just as your desire can become an ilah, like a, like a god that you worship, your aql, your intellect can become like an ilah. It's a type of shirk actually. For you to believe that everything must be understood completely by the intellect. There's things that the intellect can't understand. But if you trap yourself in that type of understanding, you will that prevent yourself from attaining other types of knowledge as a result. How can the intellect fully understand the arsh, the throne of God, the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You can understand that it exists, but can you see the arsh with your intellect? How can the intellect fully understand the existence of Allah? How can the int intellect fully understand an attribute of Allah? You can know that He exists. You can know that He has attributes. How can the intellect fully understand even matter? Just what is right here? It seems so close to us. What is matter? There's no that single definition of matter. Because at one level, some scientists even use the word mystery, not in the Scooby-Doo type sense, but in the real sense that something that the mind can't fully comprehend. And we don't even fully understand matter. And what actually is matter? They say that it's slowed down light. Well, what is that? It seems like we're whole, but are we really whole? Like it takes you down this path of like, what is creation itself? And so... This all points to the fact that we're limiting what it is that we can know. And anything that we take that as a source for what it is that we do in the decisions that we make, if we're not careful, we can become an abd and a servant to that thing, a slave to that thing. And so our Prophet is warning us, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how wretched is the one, the slave of the silver and gold and silver coin and of that different types of clothing. If he's given in u'ti aradi, if he's given, he's happy and content. When lam yu'ta, if he's not given that, lam yu'ta, that he's not happy and he's not content. And so what our Prophet is, is teaching us here is, is that we should only be an abd of Allah. That this is a wretched state to be in. How many people, this is their only focus from the time I got to get money. And it starts early. And unfortunately, sometimes parents reinforce that. Right? You have to get a good education at this time because you have to get this type of job. And I'm not saying we don't get a good education or have a good job. But we have to be careful as parents to reinforce this in our kids is that the whole goal is money. The whole goal is to get a good job that is high paying. The vast majority of people in this culture, that is their criterion. That is their criterion. And if they don't say it outwardly, that's what they think. When they ask someone about what kind of job they have or what kind of background they have, what type of college education they have and all these other types of things. And I'm not saying that we don't go to college. I'm just simply saying this is not our criterion. Our criterion should be one of service. Our criterion should be one of know your God-given abilities. Find out what you're most passionate about and what you do best and serve creation through that. And someone who does that and has a halal income in doing so. And the ulama have spoken about in great detail about what is the best type of profession. They've already dealt with this. We know the very best types of professions. And it's not working for one of these tech companies. It's not working for the government. It's not working for that, uh, that, uh, that 
companies that are that uh, building types of technologies that are destructive. It's doing what you do best, but serving creation through it. And this is the way that it was always seen. And this is something that you and I that have to revive and have the correct frame, even if it's unpopular, even if other people's criterion is one of money and of stature. Don't let that seep into your heart. And don't let alone, don't become a slave to that, where that's what you worry about, think about all the decisions that you make lead up to that. We should realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in control. He owns everything in creation subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything belongs to him and will return unto him to baraka wa ta'ala that our own selves are on borrow. Everything that we have, even though yes, you might own something outward in reality that all dominion belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What we need to do is to try to strive to realize that now and to find great joy in being servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not allow ourselves to be enslaved by creation. May these meanings open up to us. May we come to understand them and to know how they apply to our daily lives. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala free us from the reins, uh, free us from the chains of being enslaved to anything other than of, of being enslaved to his creation and bless us to only subhanahu wa ta'ala to be that to find, have tahqiq al-ubudiyah and realize that we are absolutely servants of him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah ta'ala give us tawfiq in all of our affairs. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah.